like I should start this episode by howling. I'll give it a go. Welcome! I am howling because today's episode features wolves pretty prominently. Let me tell you more. My name's Georgie Codd and I'm actually hosting this chat that you're about to listen to. It's between the authors Michelle Paver, the multi-million best-selling author of the Wolf Brother series, and Richard Lambert, whose first book, The Wolf Road for Young Adults, is coming out later in 2020. They cover all sorts in this chat, but yes, wolves, wolves, wolves are where we begin. Later they'll talk about their writing tips and experiences as published and non-published writers and Michelle gives us a sense of what it is like to be that successful in a writing career. This was originally recorded by video call by the way and you might notice that the internet strength is variable between the speakers. Please forgive us, we had a few lockdown limitations there but we've done our very best to make it work. We join them both right near the very start of the conversation and I've just asked Michelle if she could tell us what drew her to writing about wolves in particular. Probably the honest answer is I don't know because it was just a good idea. But actually, because I've been asked that a lot, I've sort of gone back in my memory and I realised that wolves have been sort of trotting through my life since I my earliest memory. My earliest memory was of a large wolf-like friendly Alsatian dog called Sheba uh, when I was about two in uh, Central Africa where I was born and she sort of adopted me as her cub and looked after me and so that was that was a positive memory Um, and then I think it was once long ago that wonderful compilation of of, um, legends from all around the world by Roger Lanson and Green um, which was my Bible as as a, an eight-year-old. And the first story in that was a Native American story called The Boy and the Wolves. I didn't actually realise that until after I'd written Wolf Brother. And I looked back and I thought, ah, maybe maybe that's where it comes from. Because this is a long way of saying that I was just really keen on wolves when I was a kid. You know, the way children get sort of passionate about certain things. And I wanted a wolf desperately. But I lived in Wimbledon, <laughs> so that was not on. I got a spaniel instead, but he sort of became a wolf in my imagination when I took him for walks on Wimbledon Common. Um, I think that's probably where it came from. And and then when I became a novelist um, and I thought, yeah, a wolf, yeah, that's a good friend to have, you know, great sense of smell, great hearing, um, top predator, quite good in a fight, very loyal. Um, So the possibilities and then the idea of writing from his point of view that's when it really took off. So long-winded answer. Um, over to you, Richard. <laughs> yeah, I, I love that. Um, when I read um, Wolf Brother, the, the point of view of going into Wolf's point of view, that was, I love that. Thank you. It was great. Um, I, I had a similar um, answer in that I can't really remember why mm. the wolf initially, or where it came from. I, I don't, was, certainly wasn't as young. Uh, it wasn't as a child, but in my 20s, I, when I was starting to write fiction, I, I really wanted to, I knew I wanted to write something about a wolf. That's like yeah. about 15, 15 years ago. I didn't know anything. It was just like the image of a wolf. Yeah. And yeah. collected little um, bits, you know, like I've logged little bits in my memory. Like I remember in my 20s going to Safari Park and being particularly interested in watching 
group yes. of wolves eating, devouring some food they'd been like a big bit of another animal they'd been given. And 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 then I wrote another YA book, which didn't get published, but that was about a seal. Um, uh-huh. So I was yeah, and I was trying to find another animal when I was doing this story, and it yeah. and it and it sort of I thought, oh, now this is perfect to have yeah. you know, yeah. a wild animal. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's there's something about them, isn't there? Um, I mean, a seal. You know, when you mentioned seal, I, I sort of thought, oh yes, um, because there's that wonderful Kipling story. Um, I think it's in the second Jungle Book from a seal's point of view. And it's called oh. the White Seal, and it's it's just I loved that as a child. Um, and I, when I was writing Wolf Brother, actually, I did reread that just to see how he did it. Um, yeah. You know, and and of course, a seal is a hunter, but it's not a top predator, so it's got sort of perhaps limitations. But um, yes, the idea of of a wolf. Um, I mean, in the Wolf Road, I, I have to, you know, I, I have to say I haven't been able to get hold of it yet because you know this was arranged quite quite at short notice. But um, I, I'm aware roughly of what it's about, and I and I wondered, you know, a wolf is involved in an accident. That's not a spoiler, but you know. Um, I wondered, you wanted to write about a wolf. Um, did the idea of its role in the story come to you quickly or was that sort of something you had to really hammer out? No, I think I knew it was there. And, mm, and it was mm. the, it was the, it's sort of central to the story, but it's not, it's not like a character as it were. It's more like a force yeah. or a force that the, 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 the main character is trying to find out about um so it was yeah it was central to it but it's yeah it's kind of always hovers at the edge of things yes um yes so there's a there are moments when it comes you know when he encounters it um yeah i really liked in your one when did you choose did you decide early on that you were going to write in the voice of wolf or, or was that did that just happen as you were doing? No, actually, that was that's a great question. I mean, that was right from the start, and and um, where that came from was uh, I had you know I've been trying to write for years, and um, I actually first started seriously trying to write and get published when I was studying biochemistry at Oxford, um, and uh, I wrote a Mills and Boone um, in three weeks and sent it off very arrogant and, and said, please publish it. And they sent it back and said, no, you know, not surprisingly. But anyway, um, the next one I, I tried seriously then to write was was a children's story um, set in Viking Age Norway, uh, involving a large bear and a boy and a girl and a wolf cub. Um, because, you know, even then I, I was, I think I'd been reading about wolf behavior because uh, it had carried on being interested in, in wolves. And, um, I think I wrote about two paragraphs from his point of view, just because I felt like it. And of course, it didn't get published, it got rejected, you know, but I kept it. Uh, I did keep the typescript. And then about 23 years later, um, my wonderful agent, you know, I, I got published by then, I was, you know, writing historical love stories. And my wonderful agent said, you know, Michelle, just if you want to sort of try something different, just branch out, you know, whatever. Um, and I, looked through some old typescripts and there was this one from university 23 years before and oh, I could see you know, yes it didn't deserve to be published but bits of it um, were not bad and there were these couple of chapters uh, sorry paragraphs 
from yeah. the wolf cub's point of view. He was called Fen for Fenris Wolf, you know, Norse. Um, and I thought, oh, I like this. And that's where that came from. Um, and, and that's actually where Wolf Brother came from because I thought, yeah, I, the story, the, the boy, the girl, the bear and the wolf and a Nordic setting, yeah. um, Viking Age, not right, try the Stone Age. Um, so yes, it was always going to be the wolf's point of view in there. Um, surprisingly, I found it, and I still find it surprisingly easy to write from a wolf's point of view. Um, they're the yeah. easiest bits in, in the books yeah. to write. I, yeah. I have no idea why. <laughs> Uh, did you find it easy to write about? I mean, I know you appreciate your wolf as a different role in the Wolf Road, but did you find it easy to write about wolves? I found it hard actually to mm. to mm. get that other that other quality that they think of that. Yes, they're different from and and to to describe their movements and how they look. Oh yes, and. Yeah, it, it was. I mean, I've, I've spent a while, like just going to the zoo, which is nearly in Colchester, and they've got mm. some there in the zoo, and just like watching them. And, um, yeah. Um, but I find it quite. Yeah, I find it. I love to. I love descriptions of animals, but it mm. was a real. Mm. It was a challenge. But. Um, yeah. 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 Yeah, I think in many ways, actually, writing from the wolf's point of view is easier than. Um, you know, describing them because I, I know what you mean. I mean, I've actually, I don't know, you know, the way a wolf trots, it's a sort of almost floating trot. It's so light yeah. on its paws. Yeah. And I don't think I've ever quite, you know, when Torak or Ren, the characters in the stories, are looking at wolf, I don't think I've ever quite caught that sort of, and as you say, the otherness. They're not dogs. I mean, they're, they're different, aren't they? Much as I like dogs. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, they sort of flow, float along, like you say, or flow along. Yeah, like, yeah. Really, yes, um, yes. Uh, and sometimes they jump up. Yes. Sorry to interrupt you both, but with that beautiful video coming up there, um, yeah, it would be lovely to hear both of you discuss um how your experiences of seeing the wolves and have you met any fun wolf companions or made some friends along the way um michelle would you start off telling us more about that video well that was um i think she's called mosey that was in fact i know it was called mosey um yeah i've known this is at the uk wolf conservation trust which is now closed to the public but the wolves are still happily there in retirement yeah that's mosey <laughs> jumping up she's a very enthusiastic wolf i've known her since she was a little black cub absolutely enchanting wow. with sort of green eyes um and she's very competitive and a little bit insecure and that's oh that's torak i think um yes well he was named after yeah i mean they're just lovely i'm sorry no that's that's my anyway um they all have different characters and uh mosi as i said is quite insecure and so when she's with her sister she's trying to um compete because i'm sort of above them in the pack as humans are in their perception and so she's sort of saying no 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 i want to be stroked first and in that instance i got off lightly but there was one time when um i was there with them and she got a little bit too excited and she sort of 
pulled away from her sister and bashed me <laughs> on the mouth. Uh, and a wolf's muzzle is very strong. A wolf is very strong. And she gave me a thick lip, um, which is a little bit tricky because I had to sort of uh, do a, a piece to camera shortly afterwards. And I sounded like I'd just had an in injection uh, at the dentist's. Um, but she's a lovely wolf. My favourite is Torak because um, I've known him since he was a cub. I mean, he was named not by me, but by the trust in in honour of the hero of the Wolf Brother books. And he's oh, wow. like the character in the books. He's a sort of bit of a loner. Um, and he comes along and says hello and touches noses, and then he goes off. And, and you know, I, I don't know if that's been your experience, Richard, but, I mean, that that's a very marked difference from a dog who will keep on saying hello if they if they like you, but a wolf will come and say hello and then go off because they've said hello. So why do they have to hang around? Um, yeah. I mean, I, I, I find the times I've been with the wolves at the Trust have been magical um, and also incredibly useful because it's all the little foibles and things, um, you know, the little incidents. So I, I agree with you, Richard, you know, it's watching the wolves. Um, you know, TV can help as well, documentaries, let's not knock them, yeah. you know, yeah. but uh, being with them. Um, I mean, Richard, I, I read, I think on your website that you did some research in Romania. Um, oh, no, is that, that right? Was... No, I did. I have done a little bit of research, but I haven't been to Romania. Um, I found a, um, I found, um, a, I was looking to find wolves where I where I yeah. go and see some, and I found some in, um, there was a sort of, I guess it would be a private zoo, or a, you could go oh. and meet them, in, um, and there was a place in Cumbria, actually, and I found about it via, there'd been some articles in the press on them, and I contacted them, and went um, to, yeah, I mean, went and spent some time with them, and they took me out, they, well, they weren't pure wolves, they, they had right. bred them, because they couldn't, they couldn't get the license or something. Yeah, it's quite tricky. Yeah. yeah. So they had, they were half wolf and half some other kind of European hunting dog. But they would like. This is they, in, they would, in Cumbria. This is. Yeah, they. I think okay. they still go. This company. I'd read about them in the. Um, there was an article on them in the in the Guardian. And, right. Um, right. And, and so I went there, and yeah, they they. They uh, they're much more powerful animals than a dog. Just, they're like yes. they are like wild wild beasts, and uh, yes. they because they were not a pure wolf. They were half and half. Um, they took us out with the with the wolves into on into a forest, and they were hmm. on ropes. The and then they let them go for a short time, um, right. and they just the way they moved and. The way yeah. they behaved was very different from a from a dog. Um, yes. Yeah. So, yeah. And and they at one point and they just did what they wanted. There was the the, the people who were looking after them couldn't really control them, you know, or no. get exactly to do what they wanted. So and I, I love that in your books when when there are those little playful moments when Torak boy and and will sort of play. And, um, he's one of the. Oh, thank you. Actors. Yeah, they're, they're they're really um They they really yeah, kind of, yeah they feel like a, a relationship. I really like that. Well, that that has sort of grown with 
the series um, because at the beginning, thank you for that. I mean, I, you know, I'm glad that came across. Um, with, with Wolf Brother, the first book, you know, it's Torak has lost his father dramatically to a bear in chapter one. Um, and so finding the wolf cub is, is very much about sort of, oh gosh, you know, I'm bereaved in this forest and this is this one little cub who, who is my friend. Um, and so it's pure friendship in the first book. And then I found um, that in each of the next stories, it was, there was some sort of problem that Wolf was having to work out in parallel with the story. You know, how does he fit into the pack? Or, well, in the second book, it's can he find, can he find Tarak again? Um, and in the third book, he gets kidnapped. And so he has to deal with the fact that not all taillesses, i.e. humans, are good. Um, and that's been really fun because with each book, I mean, for example, Viper's Daughter, I didn't actually know what Wolf's problem was going to be. <laughs> you know, I was concentrating on the fact that Wren in the story has gone off for good reason and Torek and Wolf have to find them, find her, and they head up to the far north. Um, and it was sort of then discovering, from Wolf's writing in Wolf's point of view, discovering that he's really furious with Wren <laughs> because she's broken up the pack, you know. Um, from a wolf's point of view, of course, the pack is everything. So, if, yeah. you know, it just goes against the grain for a wolf to desert the pack. Um, so that's quite fun for me. I find that, you know, I'm discovering as I write what wolf's problem is. And that's a very different way from the way I normally write because I, and, and this is the question I wanted to ask you, Richard, is, you know, because I'm a planner. I plan. I like to plan my story and know, you know, roughly what the climax is going to be and, Roughly. It's not a blueprint, but it's sort of, I like to know where I'm going. And I'm aware that there are some absolutely brilliant writers who don't do this, who just sort of set their characters going and see what happens. And, and I and I wondered, Richard, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's perhaps a simplistic to put people into two different camps, but are you a planner or a plunger? <laughs> or something no, in between? I'm very, I'm very much a planner. I, I really, uh, I mean, yeah, I do cross I do plot out really quite carefully, but I do leave it a little bit open, a little yeah. bit. And, um, you know, I have plot points that have to happen in each chapter and roughly know the structure of the, each chapter as well as the whole. Um, right, but yeah. I, I would, because I was interested, I would really like to be able to um, write that way that you're talking about. I've heard writers talk about that. Yeah. When they, yeah. Um, are led by, you know, they don't know what's going to happen. I, I find that really interesting. And because mm. I've just started Viper's uh, um, Daughter and uh, this week, so I only haven't finished it yet. <laughs> really enjoyed I forgive it. you. It's very nice of you to read it. <laughs> and um, I, I, was, yeah, I was interested in that, what how far the characters were leading, because it seems like you know them really well. You must know them really well now. Mm. And how mm. far mm. they were leading you as much as you were plotting out your uh, story because when I was doing mine the one thing I did was my ending kind of nothing mm. I knew I knew the place it was going to go but I didn't know how which way it was going to go yeah so yeah. the only bit of indecision I had but I quite liked that not knowing and then at the end oh, kind yeah. of, oh yes I'll do this and it just seemed to naturally yes. come but I would love to be able to to have that more organic way but Gosh, do you know, that's really interesting because I actually I've never really envied people who do it like that just because I suppose my way 
works for me and I like it and I feel comfortable with it. Um, perhaps it's because it's a bit of a mixture. I mean, what you've just said, Richard, you know, clearly, you know, you're ending, you, you know, you, by then you, you knew Lucas. It's Lucas, isn't it? It's the main character. You know, you knew him and you'd, you'd gone through the story with him. And so, you know, it's kind of natural that you would, the ending would, you'd come to the ending which would work for him dramatically. Um, I think, you know, I mean, I think it's perhaps it's almost a false distinction in a way because the planning and, and people who don't plan sometimes say to me, well, how can you plan? Doesn't it sort of kill the story? Doesn't it make it very dead, like writing by numbers? And I say, no, 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 you're misunderstanding. It's not a blueprint. It's not, you know, sort of, yes, now this is what I will do on this chapter and everything. Um, so like you, I think, Richard, there, there's plenty of room in the messy business of writing the first draft, which I absolutely loathe, um, yeah. for the characters to surprise me and say, and it, it's, it's often it's what they won't do, you know, what perhaps I've planned that they, they should do. Um, and then they decide, you know, it just doesn't work for them on the page. I mean, to, to give a, a wolf oriented example from the fifth book of the Chronicles of the Wolf Brother books, Oathbreaker, I had at one point Wolf stalking because he'd been mistreated in the third book. He'd been kidnapped and his paw had been trodden on and all sorts of things and his tail. Um, in the fifth book, I had him sort of stalking with revenge in his heart, this this uh, soul eater, the, the baddie. And I was trying to write the scene from Wolf's point of view and it just wasn't working, you know. Um, and then I, I came to realise that, you know, if you're actually thinking in terms of a wolf, it makes no sense for a top predator to put himself at risk by going after a human with revenge in his heart. You know, revenge doesn't matter to a wolf. It's it's about hunting and, and being with your pack and the strength of the pack. But revenge? Um, no, that's a human emotion, um, bearing a grudge. So, I mean, they can, wolves can remember, you know, sure, they can remember someone who did them harm and avoid them, but they're not going to go after them. Um, and so that really was an instance where knowing the character and knowing a bit about wolves sort of taught me that what I'd planned <laughs> was rubbish. <laughs> so let's do something else. And actually that then gave me, I think, quite a moving sort of scene later on when Torak, well, Wolf rather, realises that Torak is not a wolf. Because until then he, he'd really thought he was a kind of strange wolf, you know, without a tail. Yeah. Um, so that can actually lead to riches in the story, but you can't plan that sort of stuff. You've just got to, as you say, you've got to, to know your characters, which you do more by the time you've, you know, you, you've written the story. Um, but, uh, and I, I wondered, Richard, um, you know, I was, I was complaining about writing first drafts. Do you do a lot of rewriting? Or are you one of these annoying people who just sort of writes and it, it's it's kind of there? Oh no, it's certainly not there. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, good. I, 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 write, I mean, one, I spend a bit of quite a bit of time planning and plotting and, and researching. And, mm. Um, mm. Or I did that with the wolf one, and then I write. I write quite quickly, so I'll write a mm. first draft quite quite quickly. You know several hundred words a day or maybe a thousand or two thousand and then mm. once I've got it it would be too long and I, I you know I just kind of believe it. it's all on the page it's awful mm. it's just get it on the page and then 
it's a real long uh, process then but again and again and again going mm. through it restructuring restructuring a little not overly and then, no, and, then and then really editing the prose down just because it's just i i just write too much and it's just got to sharper and sharper and sharper and then mm. i've got mm. a couple of good friends who are writers uh published writers who have read you know things i've written and i mm. like get who i trust and who give me good feedback mm. and so you know this chapter actually is structurally unnecessary get rid of the whole chapter or, you know or, right, or right. it might just be a little scene or or, or or you know you need to work a bit more on these minor characters this particular minor character mm. So, mm. so so then i'll go back to it again you know and then it will be a whole so so it it just keep i, I think i can just keep going, going forever rewrite yes no no i i yeah i agree with you there i mean i i don't know whether you write on the page but i mean i do literally that's that's oh, wow. a first yeah that's um that it was going to be 20 chapter 29 became chapter 23 33 of of ghost hunter uh coffee stains and all oh god and then typing it up on the ancient computer and then yeah rewriting and rewriting i mean actually what, what i call my first draft um I, I do it chapter by chapter and i will have probably gone through that about 20 times before i print it and think yeah it's okay that's you know as good as i can get it and then i'll go on to the next one and then by the time i've got what i call my first draft all printed out probably taken about six months or so um and then i have this day when i sit down and read the whole thing from start to finish and by then i've got a whole pile of notes because i've thought oh well i need to change that or or this needs to check whatever um so i know there's masses wrong with it and then i read it from start to finish um which gives me a good sort of shape you know and i can yeah. see okay this this is where it really lags or, or lack of clarity and then what I call the rewrite is, is I do like it. It's very intense. I've just come out of it literally yesterday. I printed out really? the sequel to Viper's Daughter and sent it. Well, I hope it's, I hope it's somewhere in the postal system. Um, yeah. And that rewrite takes about, well, in this case, it took about two months because of a, a certain pandemic, which is sort of, <laughs> you know, um, but that's really, fun i do enjoy it because then i've got something that i can really shape you know um but interesting you should say that i mean about showing it to you know trusted writer friends um for some reason it's just the way it's developed with me I, i've never shown it to anybody um until like yesterday when i sent skin taker off to my my editor and publisher um not that I think it's perfect, but you know it's as good as I can get it, um, and and that's taken about sort of eight months or so. Um, do you do you show sections of your story to, you know, the work in progress to to the the, the readers, if I can call them that, or, or do you wait until you've yeah. got the whole? I've I've generally I've waited till I've got the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. Show it, um, yeah, so they can see the whole shape. Yes, I, I agree, because, I mean, I, I don't want to, you know, it's, it's not criticism because all writers are different, but, I mean, I remember talking to one writer who sent each chapter bit by bit and shared it with someone, and it obviously worked for her, but um, I would find that tricky because 
as I'm writing what I call the first draft, I already know, and you probably do as well, you know, that there's loads that you need to change and go back eventually. Um, yeah. so, so, you know, it'd be quite boring to have to tell the person, oh, yes, well, look, don't worry about this because these two characters are going to merge or something. Um, so, I think, and it's, and uh, it's, yeah. Sorry. Sorry, sorry for coming in again. I'm just thinking of there'll be quite a few of our audience, I think, who who write and are, are trying to put projects together, especially at the moment with, um, you yeah, know, yeah. less to do than normal. Um, how, how, Michelle, have you developed that confidence in your own writing skills? Because um, I think some people, quite a lot of authors, feel really dependent on that network of other people um, and would be right. quite not to show it to anyone else before they send it out. You see, that's really interesting because um, I, I wasn't confident to begin with. And if I sound confident now, I'm not always when I'm in the writing process, I can tell you. Um, but it was actually um, a sense of lack of confidence that kept me from showing my work to begin with. I mean, I wasn't I wasn't worried about sending it off to, you know, publishers, potential publishers and saying, please publish me. I mean, because you just get rejection letters and that's part of it and you have to pick yourself up off the floor and start again you know i've been through all that um for years but um when i was i think it was that the fact that um i knew that i i know i'm a better writer than i am a talker and so this is why i loathe the sort of synopsis process and i've never liked telling a publisher um the idea of the story before i've written it because if I see their eyes glazing over, as I will, when I'm trying messily to summarise a plot or my idea, I mean, the, the, my last Gothic novel, Wakenhurst, I mean, how on earth would I have summarised that? It's a girl growing up in the fens and her father maybe going mad or maybe not. I mean, I would see someone's eyes glazing over and then I would lose faith or confidence in my story and that I do not want to do. So it's really out of a, a sort of she-wolf-like protectiveness of the idea and uh, knowing that I can't really get across I mean it's not that it's Dostoevsky and it's you know very very complicated but it's a messy process writing I think Richard would probably agree you know writing a novel is messy and difficult how on earth are you going to get across the sort of the thing that got you keen in the first place um, and for that reason really rather than a sort of excess of confidence I just like to keep it to myself and, and I have, you know, when I was starting out, I did read, I didn't do a course or anything, but I read lots of books on how to write, uh, which was very useful. It taught me something called point of view, which I'd never heard of, you know, <laughs> stuff like that. Um, and a few of them did say, you know, it's not such a great idea to talk about your writing while you're, you're working on a, on a, on a story. And um, while you're absolutely right, if, if you're the kind of writer who just needs that circle of trusted friends or whatever, then ignore what I've just said, because it's whatever works for you as a writer works. Uh, but for me, it just doesn't. It really doesn't. I get irritated, I get cross, <laughs> I get defensive, um, and it, it just doesn't work. So I can't even remember what your original question was. I hope I answered it <laughs> over to you, Absolutely. Richard. Absolutely. It's fascinating. R Richard, um, so you're, you're right at the start of this um journey of publishing the wolf road and yeah. um i wonder how 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 are you feeling about that and whether you could talk talk together about 
that first project going out into the world and what that sensation is like going from being an, as somebody who writes in a private space to somebody who has to talk about it in an event like this in public. Yeah, it is a, um, I mean, it's quite a thing, I think, to go that transition. Um, and it's, um, I mean, I'm really delighted in that the process has been really straightforward of, with the publisher, um, Mika, everything with words has been brilliant in helping me put it together and then has produced it beautifully. It's um, gorgeous. The, the cover, I must say, is absolutely yeah. lovely. Really I'm lovely. So with the cover, yeah. it's just lovely. The way, gorgeous. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and it's been good. I mean, um, it was due actually to be published this month. Because the bookshops are shut and the actual mm -hmm. physical book distributors not distributing books. So it's been pushed back to, or to the or to October. Mm. So um, it's kind of like, I mean, I've been writing for years and years. I guess when you were talking, Michelle, about trying to get work out there for a long time, I've been yeah. doing that for many years. And this was yeah. the first, like, this felt like my breakthrough. So that has been difficult, like, to be within a few weeks of it kind of existing in the world and yeah. then to then not have it. So, but I've sort of got used to it now. It's been a month mm. or two that I've done that. So I kind of just think, you know, it will happen. And yes. Bookshops will at some point reopen. Um, and so, so um, and this actually is the first kind of um, event that I've done for this book. Mm. I mean, I've done, because I write poetry as well, I've written, I've done poetry readings and, yeah. you know, little, little events, but I haven't done, yeah, you know, sort of promoting work is a very, it feels like a completely new thing to me, to be, you know, to know what to do or what you expect to see or how you do it. So it is um, it's a bit of a learning curve, I guess. Um, and I'm not comfortable, it's not, it doesn't feel comfortable. Because <laughs> like, you know, you're used to just, well, I am just used to writing in my own private space. And then to have to then yeah. go over yeah. that boundary or whatever into, that, into the world is, is something uh, new. I think you're absolutely right, Richard. Um, yes, it takes me back because nobody tells you that. You know, I, I said I, I read books about writing, but nobody tells you that. And um, they don't tell you how to do it either. Well, I mean, I was, was not told, um, you, you know, you were just told, okay, can you go to this literary festival, please? And can you talk about your book? Well, that's what happened to me. And I mean, I I really like just being on my own, writing in my own world with, I mean, you know, yeah, you know, it's like being having to be two people, I think. Um, it's the real you, which is the writer, which is just, you know, being on your own in your world with your characters for months and months and months, absolutely lovely. And then, there's this other person who has to sort of talk and sometimes it feels like being a performing doggy or something, you know, saying, oh, you know, here's some funny stories about how I wrote and here's a little piece I've prepared that I can read or, you know, some stuff I've brought back from uh, research trips. Are they getting bored, you know, and then answering questions? It, it's really, really, it, really weird. It struck me as very weird to begin with. Um, and I would get incredibly nervous 
beginning. I remember the first event I actually was Hay, actually, Hay Book Festival for Wolf Brother. Uh, I'd never been to a book festival. I didn't know what a book festival was. Nobody explained it to me. And I, my heart was beating so fast, I thought I was going to have a heart attack. Um, and, and then this wretched publicity girl said, oh, you'll be fine. And I said, yeah, how many of these things have you done? And she said, well, I haven't. I said, fine. Okay. How do you know I'll be fine? Um, but it, it is true that you get used to it. <laughs> uh, I would have, you know, you do. And, and it's, it's part of it. And actually it's, it's, it's quite fun that the best bit I think is hearing readers responses. I mean, you must've had this for your poetry, you know, when a poem means something to a reader and that must be quite, quite good. Yeah. yeah it's lovely. It's lovely. Mm. And then, I mean, and you, when you have, because a lot, I mean, the majority of your readers, I guess, are children. I mean, that that's a nice thing as well, isn't it? When they come, I guess, when, when you're doing that. Um, but they're a mixture, actually, because now, actually, quite a lot of them have grown up with the Wolf Brother book. So, you know, you can get, in a public event, I can get 10-year-olds and then I can get 20-somethings. And actually, my oldest reader for the Wolf Brother books in 99 I met her um, at a Wakenhurst event, and she was wheeled up by, in a wheelchair with with her her daughter. So you you don't know. I mean, yes, the children are. I mean, I think that the difference is I find is when at, uh, halfway through an event, I'll say, okay, so who's got any questions? Um, if it's grown-ups um, or teenagers, sometimes they'll be sort of who's going to ask the first question? It's all a bit, you know. But if it's ten-year-olds, you get a forest of little hands. Um, because there's that difference between, you know, they're just not that self-conscious at that age, but when puberty yeah. strikes, then they do start to be. I, I don't know what it's like. Do, do you ever throw the floor open at, at poetry readings and, and see if you get questions, or <laughs> are they I've too intimidating? <laughs> it was a small one, and then and then somebody actually interrupted me, I think, and, and then just oh. said, well, your poems are too short. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> I thought I, it kind of startled me. It startled me, but afterwards I thought, no, that's quite good actually. You know, that's what she felt, and it was like, okay, I'm not on board and not that way. So, right. But that's the only. Time. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, I mean, and, and that is the thing with with adults. You can also, and our adult audience, you can also get the strange ones. Um, I mean, I, I wrote a ghost story set in the Arctic called Dark Matter, and um, yeah. I did an event. And the first question was somebody, there was something wrong there. And, and they were, they started just telling me this long, involved experience they'd had about meeting a ghost. And you could see the audience getting really worried. Um, you know, how are we going to deal with that? Um, and, oh gosh, this is getting, is this person crazy? Um, so, you know, you have to find a way of, you know, saying, well, thank you, that's really interesting. My experience was blah, um, but uh, yeah. <laughs> it's a very far cry from sitting quietly writing, which is what we all really want to do, um, which is not to complain about doing this, because this is actually a really nice way of doing it. There's no travel, um, you know, uh, of course, there's no audience either. Well, I mean, there's no interactive audience, um, but yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it's the whole publicity thing is is yes, it's quite a business.
it must have say. it must have um how, how does it feel when when people describe you like in my introduction about being a global best-selling um and that you've had millions of copies sold throughout the world um and hopefully one day richard can have something like that attached to his oh, bio yes. as well how 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 does that sit with you what does it feel like to be that that author really lovely <laughs> it's absolutely fabulous um yeah it's really nice because it means lots of people have enjoyed the books that that's that's the thing and um what i most like about that is I mean, it was a nice introduction thank you it was in fact it was a perfect introduction because it wasn't too long and it was just hit some nice high points but i think um what is nice about being published in different countries is uh, you know, if you get a, you, you get sent a copy of the book in, I don't know, Chinese or something, and I can't even read my own name in Chinese, and yet I know that my story, or some version of it, goodness knows how they're translating the wolf talk, um, is being read and I hope enjoyed by children with whom I couldn't communicate if we met, um, and that's that's really a profound feeling actually, uh, because after all, you know, why why do we do this? Um, well. Who knows? Because it's a really hard job. Um, it's a kind of compulsion. But part yeah. of it is because you want people to enjoy or, or connect with what you're, you're writing. So that's really where the uh, satisfaction comes from. Um, I mean, the money's nice too, but, uh, you know. I, I, mean, ask, I want to ask, because I find writing very much a compulsion, and it has mm, been. Yeah since I was a teenager, I think. Right. Because um, I'd read, in, as you were saying, about writing those, your first novels while you were at university. When did you, did you, did you always write? Were you writing as a child? Um, I've always liked writing. I mean, you know, I wrote my first sort of story when I was five, I'm a mum's typewriter, I was sort of bashing it out and, and I liked the idea of controlling characters and things. Um, at, at school, I would I would write plays and force my friends to play in them and that sort of thing. But it never occurred, to, I never really formed the idea of being a writer. I mean, I wanted to be a sort of the next David Attenborough or, you know, not a presenter, but an actual biologist studying animal behaviour. Um, it was at university that you know, firstly, just to make money, I thought, oh, I'll write Mills and Boone. And then, obviously, that was a failure because I had no clue. I didn't even have a boyfriend. So, you know, you can't write a love story. Um, and, and that started me on the road to getting published, which took years, um, partly because I then took a wrong turn and became a, a, a lawyer, <laughs> um, which wasn't a very good idea. But um, so it took me years to, to get published. Um, so, yeah, you know, that that's, it is a compulsion, but um, it took me, a, it was an, it, university when I realised, yeah, this is what I want to do. Um, but of course, yeah. I had to earn the living while, and, and I remember I used to read, I don't know if you ever had this, Richard, but I would sort of read in the paper of so-and-so who'd got her first novel published, you know, yeah. she'd just written it, got it published, and I thought, yeah. who are these people? You know, I mean, it took me 16 <laughs> years. Um, if you add up all the years, it took me 16 years before I got my first novel published. Um, I don't want to discourage people out there. You know, I was I was 13 years of that was being a lawyer and you didn't get much time to write. But um, yeah, it doesn't help when the newspapers just pick on the ones who get published straight off. Um, 
have you ever added up yeah. how long it's taken you to to get well i started in 2000 i started my first novel in the year, mm. it was like january 2000 i thought i'm gonna start writing a novel and what so that's yeah to 20 years to get my first <laughs> novel public I mean, it's not yeah. that one of course but i mean i've written several things but um yeah it just seems and then it's become like a uh, I mean, I've always written poetry, but mm. to, to write stories is like is a compulsion. I don't think I would stop, mm. even if you know, even if it were, even if it doesn't turn out to be a career, I think still be doing. Yeah. No, I I, I agree with that actually. Yeah. It's, I'm uh, so sorry to interrupt. We're we're coming to the last few minutes of our oh, of wow. the conversation, and it's fascinating to hear you both talk about it. Um. Before we wrap up, I, I wondered, obviously you alluded to this earlier, Michelle, we are living through a very strange time at the moment, these, mm. these months mm. are quite peculiar. And I wondered what, what the two of you were doing at the moment to kind of stay grounded. Were you writing or trying to get outside? <laughs> Got any tips for people at home or things that you think might help them that help you? Uh, well, um, I have to say, it hasn't changed too much because I've been in the, as I said, in the final processes of writing Skin Taker, which is the sequel to Viper's Daughter. So um, I've been sort of immersed in that housework, cleaning the house has completely gone by the board. Half an hour's walk on the common where I live um, in the morning, early to avoid the joggers and then back. Um, and that's it. Uh, in terms of keeping sane, I think actually what what has helped me is is limiting my the amount of news I watch, because when the pandemic kicked off, I was watching a lot. Um, I mean, I don't do too much internety stuff, but I was just watching you know the rolling news on Sky and things like that, um, and it's fascinating. And as an ex biochemist, it's quite interesting, um, but it you know it doesn't do your emotional well being too much good because you can't control it. So um, I think that's a big thing. Limit your exposure to um, the news because it doesn't help that much. Um, and read, that helps me stay sane. What about you, Richard? Yeah, I, I mean, I think the news thing, certainly I, I was the same. I was like watching it a lot when it yeah, yeah. When the lockdown first happened and then when Boris Johnson went into intensive care, I was like following well, um, and then I deliberately tried not to watch it. Mm. So mm. I, I think on a day I don't, I can't manage to check in now and again. But I think yeah. I've done three or four days here and there where I just I've not looked at the news at all. Yeah. And I've noticed yeah. my anxiety levels go like that, you know, they're much better on those days. If I'm yes. watching the news, it's like interfere. It's like bad interference on the radio or something. It just yes. in my head. Yes. <laughs> so, I can get on and do more if I don't watch the news. And the other thing that I, I'm very lucky, I've got a little, very little garden, little patch of lawn at the front, mm. which I've kind of neglected. So I've been doing stuff on that, and which I've never really done any gardening, and that's been really good. But I'm very lucky that I've got that space. Mm. Mm. I actually have grown the very first time some seeds from indoors as well. <laughs> so yeah. I'm germinating seeds which are just showing some seedlings now. So that has felt, so it's sort of like, that's actually felt quite, there's some little bits that felt like quite nice and just having yeah. a bit more space for my writing, not 
the interference of the everyday world. So I've mm. been able to mm. a bit what I'm working on at the moment. So that's mm. there have been a few little bits that are good, but it's it's felt like really hard work. I have to be quite disciplined mm. in the way mm. I go on about the business, but having to, I feel like I'm having to be quite careful about yeah. what I do, just to yes. say just to say normal, stay normal. I, I I think you're you're right, and actually growing things and and being among nature. I've just got an alleyway outside my house because then I look onto the common. But you know, the plan is now to actually plant some pots and stuff like that. And talking about growing things, and since this is you know for for mind as well, um, I, there's a member of my family who's suffered from depression for many years. But I don't really use that term suffered because she's now you know she's got CBT and she does all sorts of things measures to to control the anxiety and the depression, and um, obviously this is a huge challenge being you know in lockdown, and she's found that her little garden you know has helped enormously just actually getting out there and doing a bit of weeding or just looking at something keeping the expectations really low, and also cutting down internet time as well. Um, and I think there are programs you can get um, or apps that sort of can, I think it's called a freedom app, which you, you can choose how long to freeze your entire internet access. So you can't, okay. even if you want to, you can't. Um, and that, that has really helped with the anxiety and depression. So um, I offer that as a little tip. Thank you so much. So weeding and reading is uh, definitely <laughs> to do. That was Richard Lambert, Michelle Paver and me, their host, Georgie Codd, speaking together for the Bookbound 2020 Festival. As Michelle mentioned, we are raising funds in aid of the UK mental health charity Mind, so check out our website for details or just Google Bookbound and Just Giving. Next time on the Bookbound podcast, we have Philip Hoare, Lord of the Sea, speaking with Dan Richards about, well, being outdoors, being writers, being all sorts. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please rate us and review us and also hit the subscribe button so we can deliver these straight to you as soon as they're ready. The Bookbound podcast team is me, that's Georgie Codd, with Claire Reed. Felicity Quick and Beatrice Bazell. Our theme tune is Wonder Under by the Glad Rags, which we found on the free music archive. Stay well. Wonder, won't you be-